in the history of the church here at the end time, when there would be old men left alive who could compare the former temple under Herbert Armstrong to the latter temple that will be built under the two witnesses along with the remnant of the people. And uh, for that to occur, that means the church has to be getting old. And when the church gets old, people start breaking down and they begin to have all kinds of physical problems. And in our society with the diet and the, the way our culture is, people start breaking down even earlier uh, with cancer and diabetes and heart disease and all kinds of maladies that occur. So we're in a time that God said we would, as a church, that doesn't mean every individual, but as a church, we'd be getting old. And it has been my <coughs> observation over the last 10-15 years, really, that because of the scattering and the turning of God's head away from the church, that he has not been doing a lot of absolute healings. He's been doing interventions, is the word I like. It seems that so often when we anoint, uh, we don't see complete healings, but we often see somebody get better. They get able to handle it, let's say, uh, without complete healing. And I think that that is kind of a compromise. Uh, God doesn't compromise. I don't mean it that way, but it's kind of an in-between, maybe I should say, where God, even though he has been angry at the church and has scattered it, he still loves it. He still loves his people. And even as we are, as incomplete and as imperfect as we are, at least we're struggling to serve him and to follow him, which the rest of the world is not doing really at all. And if they are, they're not doing it according to knowledge. Some are truly, sincerely trying to serve God, but they don't know how. And when you don't know how to do something, you don't do very well at it. So, I believe God still deeply cares. I believe He does intervene and give some comfort and some help, even though we don't see many complete healings. I do believe there in the near future, uh, when He will do some things He's promised to do. We won't go into that right at this moment, but... Uh, let's not be discouraged as we get old and have difficulties, but know that God is there and He looks out for us and whatever is best for us in the long run is what will happen. He doesn't say that some won't die. We, we don't want to make the mistake of saying, well, how come you let somebody die? Because we've had somebody, some people die here. Uh, I think that they will be in the kingdom of God. I think they died faithful. But when he says there will be some old men remaining, that means some old men aren't remaining, if you, if you follow that. Uh, some will die. Uh, but if they die in the faith, what difference does it make? But I think all of us have deep within us somehow, with an understanding of God's truth, that we'd like to be there to see all these events we've read about happen, to be part of the regathering to be part of the building and the finishing of God's work. So that's something that is natural to desire, and I think we would all like to be part of that. I know I certainly would, but if God decided, let me die in the meantime, 
I wouldn't know it, and I wouldn't know what I missed. So I'd hear about it later, maybe. So I guess it really doesn't matter uh, in the long run whether we live or die in this age. I've got to turn that fan he got up here up. A little bit humid today. Not real hot, but it's humid. And swamp coolers don't do much good when it's humid. Anyway, uh, I started uh, or addressed or began to address a subject last week about the end time and where we are uh, based upon so much traffic both on the internet on the main and in the mainstream media about how dire the economic situation is getting not just nationally but globally and the drums of war that are beating across the world and many other things that seem to be sort of converging including some things in our own nation uh, and I mentioned somewhat about some of the prophets that are out there, Protestants, who have predictions about what's going to happen in September and October of this year. So this is August 15th, it's almost over, and the dates that they have is significant start about the September 15th and go through October, depending on which event you're talking about. And I'm not going to go into all of those. The Internet is rife with them. You can find them yourself. All kinds of predictions. I've seen as many as 10, 15, 20, 20 on a list of things that they think are dovetailing and coming together in the fall and early winter of this year. Uh, Jonathan Kahn is one of those making waves. Understand who he is. He wrote The Harbingers book. He wrote the Shemitah book about the seven-year release and about the Jubilee. And all I can say, or what I will say, is that his prophecies are false. He is not a prophet of God. What he is saying does not fit the Bible for the most part. Now, some of it could. Some of it could. But he as I looked into it a little more yesterday, is saying that last fall began the Shemitah year, the seventh year of release, and that this fall in September begins the Jubilee year. I was under the false impression that he thought we were at the sixth one based on when he started in 73 with the financial falls, uh, and that the Jubilee was still seven years off from this coming year. But that is not the case. He believes that we've already had the seventh year, or we're in it. It's almost over, and the Jubilee begins at atonement of this year. And that Christ is going to return sometime before 2016 ends. Before, as he terms it, the Jubilee year ends. Now, he's made a lot of waves. But I am going to state flatly, Christ is not returning in 2015 or 2016. It cannot happen. There is no way that it can happen. Now, is that my opinion? No. It's based on a lot of scriptures which show us a lot of events that have to occur before Christ can return. 
And those events have timing to them in terms of how long they last. We've been over that some in the past, but I think since the world is on edge and they think that the end of the age is here and Christ will come back and there'll be a rapture this fall, uh, some of them believe that, and then everybody left is going to die and go to hell if they don't receive Christ between now and the time that the judgment hits. So you have those, and then you have those that are actually using some Bible to show that they think that the Jubilee is here and Christ will return within the next 12, 13 months. Uh, but that cannot and will not happen. I don't think I'm going out on a limb at all, and that doesn't make me a great prophet. I'm just saying that that's not what the Bible says. Uh, it's not in there. So... Let's, let me give you just briefly a few events that have to occur right here at the beginning that God says. I won't go into them in detail and go to all the scriptures. We might do that a little later on uh, before I'm finished with this subject to show definitely in the scriptures what God says about what must occur and the time frame involved with each. But just as a thumbnail sketch, here's some events that must occur that have not yet happened. Haggai says the church will be gathered, uh, and that has not yet occurred. The two witnesses will work with them to restore the latter temple, or to build the latter temple, and that will take some time. They are indeed told in Revelation 11 not to worry about the world and the Gentiles, but only those who are in the church at the beginning of their work to get the gathering, to get those people educated with what has to be done, up to speed on doctrine and many things that need to be learned, they'll come afraid, they'll come confused, but they will see God work His mighty works, and they will come. God says He will stir them to do so. They have not yet gathered, the two witnesses have not yet been made public, so that cannot have occurred, and it has to happen before Christ can return. So that's a beginner. Then it says, there in Haggai and Zechariah 1 through 4, the temple has to be built. Now whether you buy the idea that that has to be a physical temple, or just a spiritual, is really neither here nor there in terms of 2015 or 16, because the gathering has not occurred, the temple has not been built, uh, but it must occur, and that will take a certain amount of time. Now one that is timed in Daniel 9, it says that the abomination of desolation will not be set up until Jerusalem is restored and built. And he says that that is a 70-week time frame. At the end of, and that's over, it's about almost a year and a half, 70 weeks. So that has to occur. And when that has occurred, when Jerusalem has been restored and been built, and you've got to understand where Jerusalem is, there is a Jerusalem in the Middle East, they call it that, but it's already built. It's already there. What, does, what needs to be restored and built about it? It's there. But the one God talks about has been desolate for many generations, and no man dwells there. I won't go into all those scriptures at the moment. But it has to be built on its original 
place. In her place, her own place, as Zechariah says. So that'll take 70 weeks. Then the abomination will be set up in Jerusalem to desecrate the temple. And Matthew 24 tells us at that point that we are to flee from the abomination mentioned in Daniel to the hills of Judea, the mountains of Judea, it says. Let him who reads understand where the true Judea is, where the true Jerusalem is, and which mountains you flee to in Zion, the place of refuge uh, identified in many, many scriptures. But there, Revelation 12 tells us, the church will be protected for time, times, and half a time, or three and a half years. So, to the building, to the gathering, to the building of the temple, to the restoration and building Jerusalem, a year and a half approximately, add three and a half more years of the tribulation, because he tells us in Matthew 24 that immediately after the abomination, great tribulation will occur. So the tribulation does not occur until the temple in Jerusalem are built, the abomination is set up, then you have three and a half years, and I do believe it's the same three and a half years that the two witnesses at that point will turn their attention to the world, preach the gospel around the world as a witness against the world, and then they will be killed in Jerusalem, and three and a half days later, Christ is going to return. So, just in that brief thumbnail sketch, you have quite a few years before Christ can return. So, when they say he's going to come back, we'll be raptured in 2015 in the fall, or in 2016, it's a false prophet, or a false prophecy. It, it cannot be true based on those events in God's Word which say differently. So, no, it's not an opinion. It's not an idea. Uh, very briefly, you know about all those events, but think about it. So, what could happen this fall? Is there a possibility that all that you've been reading about on the Internet and hearing about here and there, are some of these things possible to happen? Let's again go to God's Word and see what He says. Now, I could go through and enumerate all the things about Jade Helm and about uh, the Pope speaking to Congress and the UN and all those things and review them, but I don't think that's really necessary. Uh, you have read them or can read them. Let's see what God says. That's all that really matters to me is what does God say could happen even beginning this fall. I think there are some distinct possibilities that could occur. Now, let's begin this in Revelation 17. The church has known for many, many years that there would come a ten-nation dictatorship, or a ten kings, it doesn't say nations necessarily, but ten kings, which indicates nations or groups of nations, uh, we thought for years that that would be in Western Europe because Germany started World War I and World War II. 
But I think we've come to understand that that simply cannot be a Western European event. Because all the prophecies have to do with all Israel and Judah, all the tribes of Israel, that must be taken into captivity. And most of those tribes are in Western Europe. So instead of being a union of people to rule the world, most of those nations in Western Europe are going to be taken into captivity just like the United States is. I have no doubt at this point that we are Ephraim, not Manasseh. But Britain very likely is Manasseh. And those nations in Western Europe are various of the tribes. And some of them have been scattered to South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, and other places. To get into all that is not my purpose today. But there is a group of ten kings that is going to come together. The Bible doesn't call it the New World Order. It calls it the Beast, along with the false prophet. And that there will be ten kings or leaders of it, and the false prophet will be associated with them. So it is a governmental as well as a religious order. It has those two forms to it. Let's see that in chapter 17 of Revelation. There came, then came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying, Come here, I'll show you the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters, or peoples, nations. Uh, waters are people in prophecy, generally. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication... And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornications. So this is talking about, and uses a symbolism of a fallen or a, a sinful woman, who has committed fornication with the nations of the world. So it's a political thing, not necessarily physical, though there's a certain a lot of that as well. But it is a political thing that occurs... God uses this analogy throughout the prophecies, showing how Israel has gone after her other lovers. Hosea is full of it. And in fact, Hosea begins by God telling the prophet to go marry a harlot, because harlotry in the end time is the analogy he uses to describe Israel, and particularly Ephraim. And the book of Hosea is mostly about the tribe of Ephraim, about us. So, he had Hosea go through that whole thing of finding and marrying a harlot and having children by her, just as the United States has had alliances, marriages, if you will, political marriages with all the nations of the earth. And, she, and America has been abusive of those peoples as well. We'll see that uh, ultimately in these prophecies. Understand who the great whore is. It is not the Catholic Church. We believe that for many years. But I think in that series on Babylon, I was able to show clearly from Scripture that the United States, especially, is the madam. Now, the other nations of Israel may be harlot daughters, but Ephraim is the woman in charge of the house of ill repute, of the sin and the wretchedness that pervades the world, and we are the exporter of sin more than any other nation on earth. I think I've recited before 
but it doesn't matter where I go on the earth. Europe, Africa, Asia, Australia, wherever you go on earth, if you turn on the televisions, you will see American TV programs. You'll see homosexuals parading across the screen. You'll see adultery and fornication all through the movies, all through the sitcoms. It is America. You'll see American clothes on the streets now in every continent, except Antarctica, and you won't see anything but seal. I mean, uh, the penguins there, maybe. But everywhere you go that's habitable on the face of this earth, it is the American culture that people have borrowed, have adapted to, and are using. We are the ones who have spread sin around the earth more than any other nation on earth. We are the great whore of Revelation 17 and 18. I don't like to have to say that, but it's true. Go to Ezekiel 16. God starts that chapter out by saying, you don't even look like my people. You look like the Gentile nations around you. In other words, I can't tell you from the Gentiles. You're all just alike. I called you. I trained you. You made a covenant with me. And now I can't tell the difference between you and anybody else on the face of the earth. And then he goes on to talk about her and how she is a great whore. Other places in Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk about how she's uh, had whoredoms with the Assyrians and various nations of all kinds, and is even worse than a harlot because he says, you gave it away free. Didn't even charge. You're just there anybody, anytime. And politically, that's the way America has been and currently is. So when you start looking for a great harlot in the Bible, you start looking for Israel, because that's what God says she is in Ezekiel 16. You start looking for Ephraim, because that's what God says she is throughout the book of Hosea. Then if you examine carefully Revelation 18, you will find that that great harlot there has made the nations of the earth rich. That it was the merchant marine, the ship sailing, that have made all the nations of the earth wealthy. The Catholic Church has never made any nation wealthy. They have plundered nations to build up their own treasures, but they've never enriched anybody. But America has. Because of our great industry of the past, and because of having the currency reserve of the world, we have been able to make many, many nations rich. And when we fall... They will lament and cry, as Revelation 18 tells us, because the source of their markets has dried up. Jeremiah 50 and 51 talk about how Babylon, the end-time Babylon, has been the hammer of the whole earth. The Catholic Church does not hammer the whole earth. Washington, D.C. does, the United States Corporation. So, many, many identifying factors show that, particularly Ephraim, 
is the great horror of Revelation that we're starting to read about here in Revelation 17. She's made the whole world drunk with the wine of her fornication. Departing from God, turning to sin, exporting lies, deceit, evil, spying on all the nations, hammering them when they don't do what we want them to do. On and on it goes. So he carried me away, verse 3, in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So this woman, the United States, is allied with and controlling these kings with seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. America has been the richest nation on earth with the gold, the precious stones, the fine clothing, you name it. What do you see when you go to Hong Kong and other markets? There's where you see Gucci and all of these high, big name brands, uh, Rolexes, you name it. Uh, they come from, most of them, right here. Or they're owned from here. So we are the ones who have had that kind of wealth, and yet we are full of filthiness and abomination and immorality of every kind. Upon her forehead, that's us, a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. We're the ones who have spawned most of the sin that is out there. And he calls us the mother of harlots. I said madam earlier, but mother works too. God uses that. We are the ones who lead NATO and tell NATO what to do up till now. North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is comprised mostly of Western European nations. So there are employee harlots, if you will, sister harlots, or daughter harlots, as he says here. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Emmanuel. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. We have become, have been, over the last decades, an awesome power on the earth eclipsing all other powers on the earth. So, a nation to marvel at, as he says here. We are also beginning to pers persecute anyone who takes the name Jesus or claims to be Christian. Uh, there are people now being killed for being Christian in India, in Pakistan, throughout the Middle East, and the persecution is starting here. Now we're having to take down our flag and put up Islamic flags. We're having to take Christ and the Bible out of schools and teach uh, from the, not the Koran, uh, I guess it is, I'm getting Talmud and Koran and all those pagan things mixed up here, doesn't matter. But we're not teaching God and the Bible anymore. And the angel said to me, Wherefore did you marvel? <laughs> what, what are you marveling at? 
What are you so excited about? Is this something to be excited about? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. So he's going to say, this isn't anything to marvel at. This is disgusting. I'm going to tell you about it. This is the way that it is. Now, she is riding the beast, which means she's in control. When you ride a horse, you sit there, and with the bit and the bridle, you control where the horse goes. So, if she's doing the riding, that means she's in control. And to this point, the United States has been in control of the world. Russia and China are rising up very rapidly and challenging that. But for the last few decades, we have been the one. And it has been American policy and the petrol dollar that has controlled business, economy, and the military of the world. Now, they're fast getting ready to shed that because they hate us, as we'll see here in a moment. If you just understand the Bible a little bit, you begin to understand what's going on in the world. So, this beast carries her, or she rides it. The beast that you saw was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. There have been world-ruling empires in the past, and they have disappeared. But we have a world-ruling empire coming up yet again. We'll not get into specifics about uh, whether this was Napoleon or Hitler or Alexander the Great or whoever. I don't really care at this moment. Uh, who we might try to tie in there is uh, who was and is not and shall ascend. Uh, there may be some uh, specifics to this that will come to light later, but it may also refer to past history as well. But they're going to come out of the pit and ascend and then go down into perdition or be destroyed. We'll see that here in a little bit. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Everybody else is going to be concerned, is going to wonder about it, is going to be perplexed and amazed by it, and ultimately, as we shall see, wind up worshiping it. Going to happen. The whole world is going to worship the beast. So it's going to appear and begin to take hold. Let's go on. The world will wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Now, there are people on the earth today who are saints of God, who are following the truth of God, who have been called and are, some of them sitting right here in this room, I firmly believe. They're the ones who won't wonder about this. They're the ones who will not be deceived by this. They were the ones who will see through it, who will understand it, recognize what it is and what's going to happen to it. The rest of the world will not. Sometimes we get lost trying to identify just who this was and was not but shall be and some of those things, which are really inconsequential because we miss 
the message. The message is that whatever is rising, the world will marvel at, the people of God will see through. Okay? It is going to be so powerful that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. But it is not possible. Those who understand will see through it. I'm going to try to help you today to see through it, to understand it as it arises, and realize that what you might be reading from Jonathan Kahn and others is drivel. It's not biblical. Now, it sounds good to read. And there's another one out there that thinks he knows when the dates of all the Jubilees have been and that this year is the finish of the 70th set of Jubilees and that the end of the age has to be here. But we've already seen, have we not, that we have years of things that have to occur before Christ can return and the end is not yet. He says very clearly that when the witnesses have finished the three and a half years of preaching, then shall the end come. But not until. In the meantime, we've got to understand what is arising and be aware of it and not be taken in by it. And he says that we should not be taken in by it. <coughs> so, it says that we will understand when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. I think in a look at history you have to realize that there was an ancient Babylon that took Israel into captivity uh, and then it ran its course and was gone. And there have been world ruling empires back and forth through the ages. But here's something... I mean, it, I mean, it started clear back with uh, Nimrod and Babel and was destroyed. The whole Babylonian or satanic system. And it all goes back to Satan because he is confusion. And the system that rules the world is Satan's system. And it is called by God Babylon or confusion. And God is not the author of that. Satan is. So, his power and his rule of man has escalated and decreased and escalated and decreased through world ruling empires throughout history, Babylon being one of them. But here you have another resurrection of Babylon. I do believe America has been the leader of satanic culture, as we've been discussing, and has been the modern Babylon. But Revelation 18 says, it's fallen, it's fallen. So, America is the leader of the satanic system in the world today, as it stands this day, is going to be destroyed, and one final rise of Babylon will occur, and I think we see it happening around us daily. It's coming. And it may begin to take more form this fall and winter than it has. I think that there's a great possibility of that. So he's explaining that Babylon has been, and it is, America is, and it's going to be, and yet out of it is going to come another world-ruling empire. We call it the New World Order, or the leaders of this world call it the New World Order. 
God calls it the beast. Take your pick. I'll, I'll go with God on that one. I say New World Order often because people understand that, and, and our presidents and leaders of this world uh, have called it that. George H.W. Bush started calling it that, among others, and ever since. So, this is what it is. The New World Order, the beast, it's the same thing. Well, and it is not, and yet it is. It's coming, but America has to be deposed before it can take root and be established around the world. And here is the mind, verse 9, which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains or governments on which the woman sits. So there are going to be seven major governments involved. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short pace, space. We won't speculate on that, just, to, just who personalities might be, but let's get the overall picture here is all I'm after today. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goes into perdition. So the last one is the one that Christ takes by the nap of the neck and throws into the lake of fire, as we see uh, at the end, I think, of chapter 18 or 19 of Revelation. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour or for a short time with the beast. An hour is in scripture or prophecy simply a short period of time. It's not 60 minutes. Uh, it says there in Revelation 11 that the times of the Gentiles will last 42 months. Well, in terms of thousands of years of man's history, that's an hour, you know, it's just a short period of time by comparison. But what I want to get to down here, <clears throat> these have one mind, these ten kings, uh, and shall give their power and strength to the beast. So it is going to be a very strong alliance where they get together and combine their power to supplant the power that is in the earth today, and that's the United States. We'll see that here in a moment. They are in the form, in the, at the moment today, they are forming this. They are getting together behind the scenes, they're making alliances, BRICS, for instance, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, uh, and they are recruiting others. The beast is building as we speak. And they all give their strength to the beast. Daniel says it will be, once it's done, of, with feet of iron and miry clay, it won't hold together long. You've got all these different peoples coming together with a common enemy, and that's us. But it won't last long, because they are divergent peoples with different cultures, different backgrounds, different understandings, and different goals and purposes, all being selfish, of course. So it won't last long, but it will accomplish what God has set for it to accomplish in the meantime. So they give all their power and alliances to the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb. So this is obviously a very end-time prophecy, because they make war with Christ when he returns. Not his first coming uh, in the end time, but his second when he comes with a vesture dipped in blood. 
uh, another subject entirely that takes a sermon to explain. The Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So the saints will be with him. That makes it, Jude makes that clear. Uh, Revelation, uh, I think it's 19, makes that clear as well. He's coming to claim his saints, the 144,000, his bride, when the two witnesses are raised at the end of their ministry and the first resurrection occurs. So they will go up with him, have a year during the seven last plagues, the year of the day of the Lord, to have a honeymoon, and they will come back with him, accompanying him, will always be with him from the time that they rise from the earth at the, first, at the last trump. So they'll go be married, have a honeymoon, and come back to take over leadership and rule of the world. So that's when they will make war with him, and his saints will be with him. And he said to me, The waters, or the peoples, which you saw, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So that explains right there that waters is symbolic of people and uh, the population of the earth. The ten horns, which you saw upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. Now remember, she's riding the beast. She is in control. She has hegemony over the whole world. That's the United States today. Who else could it be? If there are skeptics out there somewhere who will hear this tape, who would it be? Is it Panama? Is it Bosnia? Ask anybody around the world who has the greatest power, who they fear the most, who they think could come in with bombs and destroy them, who they hate, who is the enemy of the population of the earth. And I don't think they're going to say Iceland. There's only one that they would, for the most part, identify. There might be a few who'd say, well, that'd have to be the Chinese or that'd be the But we are the power of the world today, or have been. He told us in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 would occur. So we're the one that have been writing and directing what happens on this earth to this point. And if people haven't liked it, they got bombed. Now we're getting where we're a little afraid to bomb a couple of them. Russia and China, because they have power too. Anyway, sorry to say, we're this whore, this nation is. I think that becomes very clear when you read all the scriptures. They'll hate her and make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now, you go back to Ezekiel 5, and it talks about Israel there, and it says one-third of us will die in captivity, and some of those will also be killed. So this language right here fits perfectly with God's pronouncements about the fate of the nations of Israel here at the end time, and we are the mother of the harlots of Israel. 
So we're the one in charge, not only of the world, but of NATO or Western Europe for the most part as well. We're the mama. We're the, the mother here. And he says right here, we are in deep trouble and will be destroyed. For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will. Remember Isaiah 10, I think it is, where he says that of the Assyrian, or says of the Assyrian, that it is in their heart to cut off nations, not a few. They don't know that, they don't believe that, but it's there. And it says, God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom to the beast until the the words of God shall be fulfilled. So, we are slated to be destroyed by this beast power that's arising up out of the peoples of the earth, the multitudes, the nations. Read Psalm 83. It gives a whole list of people who will come against America. It shows in Obadiah how Esau or Edom will be very, very deeply involved in it. And then you go to stories about who the Edomites are and the Rothschilds and various ones. So this is all being planned. America's demise is planned. God tells us in Isaiah 8 that there is a confederacy, a conspiracy, a coalition, an alliance, whatever word you want to use, that will destroy us. He tells you and me not to fear it, but to fear Him. But it is real, it is coming, and it is coming fast. The woman which you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Again, that's not Panama or Iceland. And she is to be destroyed. Now, do we yet see this? Can you name ten kings who are going to take over the earth? Can you identify them yet? Are they visible? What group is it? Is it the BRICS? Well, that's only five in there. I think they'll certainly be involved in and lead it, because I do believe Russia is the Assyrian specifically. I think we've seen that. So they'll be involved, but it isn't fully formed yet, is it? Now, you can say the United Nations, because it supposedly reigns over all the nations of the earth, but it doesn't yet, does it? The UN, up to at least very recently, has been a joke. They could put out edicts, they could put out rules, laws, and nobody paid much attention. Even America has snubbed our nose at the UN. We've agreed with them when we wanted to agree with them. And we have also told them what to do. And they have done it. (laughs) Many, many times. We are the ones who have been cracking the whip. Will the United Nations as a whole morph into a beast? More than likely. I've seen maps showing that the United Nations plans on carving the world into ten districts and that the U.S. would be carved up into different districts. And Daniel 8 shows that we will be divided into four pieces. 
We might get to that in detail later. <laughs> but our sovereignty is going to be gone, and we will be conquered as we've already seen. So, what form is it taking? Now, one of the things that's supposed to happen this fall is that the Pope is supposed to speak to the American Congress, which will be a first-time event. <coughs> then I think it's a few days later, he is, or the next day, whatever it is, he's to address the United Nations itself. Now, he recently gave a speech in which he said that we need to be very concerned about the sustainability of the earth. He said that we have to honor the earth. And more recently he said that we have to, well, there's all kinds of words, I don't remember everything he said, but the, the force of it was, the earth is what we have to be concerned about. Okay? And that is what he allegedly will say to the U.S. Congress and to the United Nations in September, next month. Let's go to Romans 1, and let's see if God has not said ahead of time pretty much what that man is going to say and what others are saying already. We have the Al Gores of the world about their sustainability, and we have uh, Ted Turner and politicians and various ones talking about how we need to reduce the population of the earth by 90% in order to what? Preserve the earth. Take care of the earth. They call it Mother Gaia. Uh, worship of the earth. Our mother. This earth. And we climbed out of the slime of the sea on this earth and the mother then what? Created us. So they are using the earth as God. Can I show you that in the Bible? Let's go to Romans 1. Paul had spent three years in the desert with Christ, being taught, and part of the teaching that he received was about the end time, just as the other apostles had through the prophecies in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and other places, Christ made it clear to the apostles what would happen here in the end time. And I'm sure that he did the very same thing with Paul. And what he told Paul, I think, is reflected in Romans 1. Now, he did not, with Paul, tell him exactly when this would occur. He didn't with the other apostles either. They went through their ministry, for the most part, thinking that Christ would return in their own lifetime, and he allowed that. He allowed them to think that. He did it on purpose. It helped keep them motivated. It helped them understand the relationship he wanted with them, to be close and to be on fire. So he let them labor under a false impression. He didn't lie to them, he just didn't tell them the whole story. And I don't, he didn't tell Paul the whole story either, because Paul clearly, in his writings, thinks or thought that Christ would return in his own lifetime. He realized later he was going to die, as did the other apostles, and Christ had told them they were. Remember? He told them, you're, you're going to die, just like I did. But they kind of missed that and believed he was coming back in their lifetime. All right, let's go into Romans here. 
verse 17. Well, let's go to 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. It doesn't matter whether we're Jew or Gentile, Israelite or Gentile, our physical blood does not matter one whit. It is the spiritual Jew. And that can be either, it can be anybody on earth. Race doesn't matter at all. That is very, very clear in the New Testament. <clears throat> so anyone who believes, and belief means obeying and following. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. The apostles believed in faith, in salvation through Christ. They wrote those things down, and therefore from the Bible we go from faith, their faith, to our faith through the Word of God. That's how it is revealed, faith to faith. Now, he's going to discuss the Word of God here in the next few verses and what is going to happen here at the end time, indeed, is already happening. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So, there are those who hold the Bible, the truth that is in the Bible, to whatever degree they understand it, but they don't follow it. They hold it in unrighteousness. And he says they will be destroyed. If we have the truth, and are only hearers but not doers, we will also be destroyed. It's true of anyone. There are many, many prophecies that show how God is going to shake the earth, how He is going to cause the decimation of the population, and He is allowing Satan and the beast of the New World Order to do the dirty work. You see, you need to understand that it is the will of God that the population of the earth must be reduced by over 90% in the next few years. Do we grasp that? It is the will, it is the purpose of God to see over 90% of the world's population killed. Very possibly only 100 million as Daniel points out, that Christ will come to judge or rule, will survive the events of the end time. He says that his wrath will be so great in the seven last plagues that if it were not cut short, no flesh would survive. So it is absolutely the will of God. He knows that mankind is so selfish, so carnal, so obsessed with self and with Satan's way that we will not change, we will not repent short of death and resurrection and the second resurrection. It's sad, but it's true. 
He had the same mental outlook in the days of Noah, and he destroyed not 90%, but 99.9999 whatever percent of the population of the earth, only eight people surviving. This is history. It is also prophecy. It'll be less than 10%, but it won't only be eight people who survive to go into the millennium. Now, the New World Order, the beast, has already said ahead of time that it plans to destroy 90 to 95% of the population of the earth. I can quote a lot of different people who have said that. Leaders of our nation, as well as other nations. So God has willed it, He has purposed it, and it will occur. And He's going to use Satan and his demons to do most of it, and the leaders of the beast power. That's what's coming down. So when it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, they're going to die. And the other prophecies indicate that. So Paul is dealing with prophecy here, things that he learned from Christ in that three years in the desert. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. So God has shown us what is going to happen to the people of this earth. Paul is talking about it here, and we are on the cusp of it actually happening right now today. Now let's see what what he says here, or how it fits in with what we see happening before our very eyes today. Verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God created the heavens and the earth. He made all the beautiful things that we see around us, the seas and the fish in them the woods and the forests and the animals in them and the birds and everything that we see around us and the air that we breathe and the sun and the moon. He put here to show that there was a creator, that there was someone who had to design all this and all the symbiotic relationships that exist on this planet that are one form of life dependent upon another form of life. And they're so interlocked that if you start destroying one or another or another of the animals and birds and insects and so on, then other species also die out because they depend upon one another. So he has made it such an incredible creation. And we love it, don't we? We love this earth that we live on. But he said it's here to show us him. It didn't have a big bang. It didn't come from nothing that was not already there. Even in Genesis 1, he says in a beginning, there had been a previous beginning. There was water, and there was blackness or darkness, and the land didn't appear. But he caused out of the water the land to appear. So it wasn't like Genesis 1-1 was from nothing. 
There had already been a creation, and Satan's rebellion had made it desolate and bleak and dark, inhospitable entirely. And God, out of that, created a wonderful earth that we live on. So he said, get the right message here. Get the correct message. There is a creator, and you are living on his creation, and you are part of his creation. And anyone that comes up with a different theory is without excuse, because it should be obvious. This speaking stand is made of wood. I don't know how it got here. I think it crawled out of the forest and put itself together one night and slipped under or through the door and was here. <coughs> you agree with that, Terry? <laughs> Somebody built it. It didn't just appear out of nowhere. If there's something here, it had to come from somewhere. I didn't evolve, did you? My mama didn't think I did. She told me I was a pain. I don't think I evolved at all. She didn't either. They're without excuse. Because that, when they knew God... They glorified him not as God. Now, Israel once knew God. And he's writing to the Romans here, part of whom were probably blood Israelites and part were uh, Gentile blood. But if you go back into history, God had worked through Israel to start with, from Abraham on, and they knew God. But they glorified him not. They made golden calves and all kinds of gods over the years. So even though mankind was acquainted somewhat with God, they would forget about Him. And weren't thankful. But became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And we see a nation now that used to claim to be Christian, but it's being said even in the mainstream media now that we're not a Christian nation anymore. Our president even said we are not a Christian nation. So, that is becoming more and more obvious as time goes by. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, let's notice what they did. This is a prophecy. Notice where this leads. They exchanged the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Self-worship. They had known that there was a God who ruled the world and the universe. But now they have decided there is not a God who rules the universe, but that they rule the earth. That it's theirs. There is an elite group of people today who think that they are in charge of the earth, and they've even substituted Satan, because many of the so-called elite of this world are literal Satan worshipers, and will say so. And Skull and Bones and some of those organizations openly do it. There was an image of Kali, I guess it is, of 
ancient goddess of, was it India or wherever, doesn't matter, that was projected on the Empire State Building last week. Why? Kali is representative in ancient history of death and destruction. Why was it put on the Empire State Building at night so that it showed? Look it up. It happened. Not my imagination. They've exchanged the glory of God for a corruptible God made in their image. And to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. What is the new religion of the world today? PETA. All these organizations that want to preserve the animals. And they literally look up animals, look upon animals as more important than people. Best friends is a good example of it. Organization does some nice things and takes care of lots of animals, but they put animals ahead of people. You hurt one of those animals out there and see what happens to you. You're fired now, not later. You don't even kill a rattlesnake coiled between your legs out there. Creeping things. I don't mean to pick on anybody in particular. That's just one we know about. They're all over this nation. You don't dare hurt an animal. You get turned in. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So in the end time, Paul is saying they're going to begin to worship themselves. They're going to begin to worship the animals and the birds and the insects of the world. And they will also become homosexuals. This nation has just officially declared itself a homosexual nation. But you can marry man to man, woman to woman, God said it was man and woman. He ordained it. He created it. Now they are perverting it terribly. This is what caused Sodom and Gomorrah to be destroyed. We, today, America, are officially Sodom and Gomorrah. It is an abomination to God. Let's read on. Who exchanged the truth of God into a lie or the lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, was blessed forever. Amen. Creature there could more readily be translated, I think, creation. They worshipped the creation more than God, instead of God. Mother Gaia. This new religion, this false prophet, that will be allied with the beast, is going to have this earth as the basis of that religion. That's why the Pope is making the statements he's making. That's why he's going to tell the U.S. Congress and the U.N. what he is going to tell them. It's what he has already been saying in speeches, and therefore it is easy to extend that to the speeches that shall be made. 
What God, what religion could you get all the nations of the earth to follow? It's got to be based on the earth. There are different nations who will not accept Christ or His name. There are some who will not accept Allah. There are some who will not accept Buddha. There are some who will not accept any god you want to name. But they all like the earth. I think what you're going to see is a a religion that is based on earth worship. That is what is in the minds of the elite, the ones who are proclaiming that they are going to destroy 90% or more of the population of the earth. They use the word sustainability constantly. The UN has decreed that they move all the people into a few mass cities and that all this land in America, for instance, is going to be turned back into wilderness and no one will be allowed to even go there because Mother Earth needs to heal. Mother Earth, who, is, who has produced us, must be returned to herself. That's what's being pushed. Everywhere you look. They want to destroy man because the earth is more important. Now, which do you think God considers more important? Man or the earth? Who is he? Who are his children? Who will be the bride of his son? Who will rule in the millennium? Who will be immortalized in the millennium in the great white throne judgment? Birds, rabbits, daisies, rivers? No. People. This is all about people. The earth was made for people, not people for the earth. God puts people first. The New World Order and Satan puts the earth first. Duh. Satan wanted to be God. He can't be. And since God created us to become God, He hates us with a passion and wants us all destroyed. So His religion is earth first, people second. No, not really. He's people gone. People destroyed. That's His religion. And the leaders of this world have accepted it. Now, this is not fully formed yet. But there are things happening in September and October and in the next few months that could cause this to be much, much more obvious. I was going to go into this and then into one other area to show how these next few months may be very, very critical in us seeing this beast and false prophet appear in a visible, definable, obvious way. And she is going to shortly destroy the whore, America, and her harlot daughters, the rest of Israel. That's coming down, and it's coming down soon. Now, Christ is not returning for some years. We've seen that events dictate that. 
But that does not mean that this fall, some of these things could not begin to happen. It may not be entirely false prophecies concerning some things that are going to begin to take form, I think. And I guess I'll have to wait till next week to get into that and show uh, what is about to come down more clearly. And I think come December, January, we're going to have a much, much clearer view of what is happening. And we may feel some of it. It may affect us to some degree. I'll leave you with that thought with one additional one. God says, don't fear it, fear Him. Fear the Creator, not the creation and those who would destroy you. Because He is there to preserve you and to keep you if you will serve Him. So I don't mean for this to be a downer, but when we understand that God's purpose is to cause over 90% of the earth to be destroyed, and that He's going to use Satan and the rulers of this earth to do it, then we need to understand that He also is going to ultimately save most people. All Israel, as Romans 11 says, and that He will even preserve those who are faithful to Him now out of what is coming. But I do believe that there are events that probably will happen in the next two or three months that are going to cause this to take a much more defined shape and be much more visible than it is today. And there may be some fallout from it, but we'll save that till next week since I'm plumb out of time.